episode 94 of the Curvo Podcast. More energy at Jam Broadcasting on Sydney Baker, the Shriner University Studios. Today is a very special one for me. We have my good friend, David Robbins. David, how are you today? Man, I'm doing great. It's good to be here. It is such an honor to have you on. It really is. I've known you for about a year and a half, and you have really impacted my life in a positive way. And I would like to go over some of the things you do, but I'd also like to start off with how you became the man that you are (laughs) and how you positively impact Kerrville. David Robbins owns Sage Financial Consulting here in Kerrville, Texas. He is a pastor at the sanctuary. He also donates his time to teach classes. David, where would you like to start? I mean, it's your podcast. (laughs) Well, I'll just start with what I do. And so, yeah, Sage Financial Consulting is a business I own here uh, in Kerrville. And I work with, you know, personal financial coaching with people. And so I just help them coach their money and get to know and have a different relationship with their money and try to help them get to retirement faster uh, and to their financial goals faster. And then I have a, a segment of that where I do top profit. So I'm a top profit advisor helping businesses to um, to gain the profit that they want for their businesses so that they can bless their family and their community around them. And uh, so that's what I do with Sage Financial Consulting. Uh, a myriad of things uh, goes on there, but uh, it's really a coaching uh, business. And then, uh, yeah, I'm a pastor here in Kerrville at the Sanctuary Church. Yes, you are. And I enjoy that uh, immensely. Um and, uh, and really just love uh, ministering and giving back to the community in which I live in. Uh, you can only take for so long, and then you got to start giving back. So uh, that's, that's um, uh, it's a real give and take, and Kerrville is a wonderful community to do that in. And so I'm just excited to be here with you today. I'm so excited to have you. Um, and then also the classes. Let's, let's... Yeah, so I teach. Um, we have a, a homeschool community here in Kerrville that's pretty large, and so I have, uh, you know, either on a Monday or a Friday, depending on the, uh, the, the day that the co-op is meeting, they do school one day a week and then they do their uh, school during the week. So it's typically homeschoolers. And so I've taught anything from personal financial, uh, uh you know, advice, uh, to economics, to government, uh, to public speaking. Uh, so these are all different classes that I teach at a high school level. And really enjoy that, getting to invest in the youth and helping them. And it's been fun to watch some of them go off to college and be able to write letters of recommendation and, and just, you know, see their uh, their future changed and shifted and uh, and then to see them uh, impacting the community uh, here in Kerrville and, and throughout the Texas. So it's just been fun to, to invest that way. So I really enjoy that. Why are you so passionate about homeschooling? Well, you know, that's, you know, we live in a, an amazing country called the United States where we have freedom. And then we live in this amazing state of Texas where uh, freedom is very much celebrated. And the idea of choosing where and how we educate our children is something I'm passionate about. Um, and we, we've we used uh, all different kinds of uh, education opportunities for our kids. We've used public school, we've used homeschooling, and, uh, and we've used, uh, you know, college classes and things like that. So, uh, we just have the freedom to choose what's best for our family and for our kids. And uh, we love that. And so uh, I love helping uh, others, you know, do the same thing. So that's just, uh, it's just about freedom is what it's about. Yeah. As a parent, you always want to do what's best for your child. Yeah. And it's, it's borderline scary. Sure. But you know, the beauty is uh, 
there's grace involved in that. And uh, you just adapt and you grow and you uh, you learn as you go. Uh, we told my oldest daughter that all the time. Sorry, honey, you are our learning curve. And so, you know, we have three <laughs> kids and we learned a lot on the first one. And we thought we figured it all out. And then the second one came along and we figured out we didn't know much. And then the third one came along and we figured out we didn't know anything. Were they all homeschooled? Yeah, to some level, all of them have been homeschooled. Uh, you know, when we lived in Montana for a little while, we were able to use the public school and homeschool at the same time. That's kind of a unique thing in Montana. Uh, here in Texas, you either have to be in or out of the public school system. And so we have, uh, we've used, utilized both, um, for one of our, uh, children here in Kerrville, uh, she went to one of the local elementary schools for a little bit and, uh, but then she got boomeranged back home with COVID and then we just kind of kept her ever since then. So, uh, that's just, you know, again, it's all about what's best for you and your child and, and the beauty of having those choices to make, uh, and living in a state of Texas where we have that choice is really great. Yeah, I have a client who is very passionate about homeschooling. All of her children have been homeschooled, and they are all very successful. And then on the other hand, I know some parents who are like, no, you want your kids to be in general population, you yeah. know? <laughs> sure. And you, So, you know, there's there's different points of views on that, and it's, you know, you're. I've noticed one thing about you is you are not a one-size-fits-all kind of man. No, I think everybody has a, a unique calling in their life. They have a unique purpose in their life, and therefore they have a unique plan. And so you got to find that path that you need to be on and and be encouraged in that. And that's that's just uh, I think that's that's rooted in in the biblical model, and uh, and we should be doing that. In other words, what's right for you? And it doesn't mean there's no absolutes. That's not what I'm saying. But it means that you have a unique purpose and plan in your life. And you use that mindset for everything. You know, I, I try. Uh, I don't know that I always succeed, but, you know, uh, definitely from a, you know, when we talk about the financial coaching situation, um, you know, everybody has uh, unique situations and we've got to really get, sit down and say, okay, where is your situation at? Where's your point A and where do you want your point B to be? And not everybody wants the same goals. Not everybody wants to retire with millions of dollars. Some people say, hey, I just want enough to get by and I want to give back the rest to society. Uh, other people say, no, I want to leave a legacy for my children. I want to leave millions of dollars, you know, in the bank. Um, so, you know, everybody has a different point B and then everybody's at a different starting point. So what's the point A, what's the point B, and then what's the path to get from A to B. And, and there's always multiple ways of getting that. And, uh, I think I've talked to you before about this is, you know, you get to a financial fork, you know, there's a fork in the road and which way do we go left or right? And, the good news is if you choose the wrong path, there's always another fork in the road that you get to get back on track. So that's that's the beauty of, of life. Yeah, you, you learn through failure. You provide so much value to Kerrville. And the way I met you was through the sanctuary. Sure. Um, and also at the sanctuary, you have had financial classes. Yeah, we were able to put on a financial freedom seminar there and, and, and you know, and able to do uh, a little bit different method um, I've taught financial peace uh, before, which is, you know, a kind of a scripted way of doing things. But we were able to do uh, a financial freedom class there. We offered it for free to the public. So that was one of the ways that the sanctuary was able to give back to the community. Um, we offered a meal that people could come and, and, and eat before then and then come to the uh, financial freedom class. We offered free child care for people that had children. And then we were able to really just kind of talk about a relationship with money and how that relationship with money changes uh, depending on your circumstances and really helping them work through how they can get out of debt and how they can get themselves set on a path for uh, their goals and financial freedom. And so 
that was really fun uh, to see that happen, and we were able to you know reach out to the community and, and people that didn't come to the church. That wasn't the goal. It wasn't just say, hey, how do we advertise the church? That's not the point. The church is not yeah. a building. The church is a body. And mm. so how do we reach out to the people in that area and say, what is, what's going on? Well, if you know, if you haven't been under a rock, you know that we're in a recession and that we've had quite an inflation situation happen. And that has really hit some of our middle income, our middle class folks here in Kerrville very hard. And, uh, and they need a little bit of help. And, and really what we try to do in those financial freedom classes and what we try to do in those kind of situations is we use the term, I use the term inject hope. Mm. Most people are, they just feel like, They'll, they'll always have that debt. They'll never be out of debt. They'll never achieve what they want to achieve. And so somebody needs to come along and just inject a little bit of hope in their life to, to kind of just move them on to the next step. And so that's really what we're trying to do with that. So, yeah, we've had fun uh, doing that. We have another one that we're planning to start after the first of the year, so sometime in February. And so we'll, we'll get that information to you so you can announce that and let people All know right. that they're welcome to come. It was really powerful. Me and Sheena, you know our story. We sure. we got out of debt. It took us four years living below our means. And then, um, you know, we got a house. But we started to fall back on the, hey, mm-hmm. we got a house. We can go to Mamacita's. We can go to, and we steered away from our, you gave us options, actually. You didn't force anybody to do anything. You gave us options, and uh, we, we got right back on it. And now every yeah. single dollar is accounted for again. Every sure. single dollar has an assignment. Right. We're not lost. We know where we are. And it's actually selfish to be on a financial plan, if you think about it. <laughs> because you sleep better, you know where you're going, and, and you just feel good about it. Our budget. Sure. Well, we tell people if they don't assign every dollar to uh, a purpose, then um, whatever money it doesn't have a purpose, you might as well just put it in the category called blow because you're just going to blow it. That's where it's going to go. It's the truth. Yeah. It really is. How did you become the man you are today? Well, that I'm not sure of, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, um, I wasn't born in Texas. I was born in South Carolina, and at six months old, my family moved to Texas. And so I, I tell people I wasn't born in Texas, but I got here as quick as I could. <laughs> Um, so I grew up for first few years of my life. I grew up in Austin, Texas, back when Austin wasn't as weird as it is today. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but when I was, uh, right around, uh, six years old, my family moved out to Dripping Springs, Texas, which back then it was the sticks. It was the, it was the true hill country and, and, and real country. Um, we, uh, we, I grew up out there when Dripping Springs was a little two A school and, uh, anyhow, now it's a, it's a crazy suburb of Boston, but, uh, but that's where I grew up. So I've always kind of been a hill country, uh, kid. Uh, my, we just sold my, my mom's home there just a few years ago. And so just, you know, always had some roots there. Mm. I, uh, went to school for a, a brief year and a half in middle of nowhere, Kansas. Uh, I was a, I was an athlete in high school, ran track and, uh, ended up getting a track scholarship. Uh, went to school for a year and a half in Kansas and then uh, transferred down to UTSA and ran Division One track there at UTSA. And when I graduated there, um, I got married and we kind of made San Antonio our home, lived there for 13 or so years, and then moved to Montana uh, with a job for a church up there. Lived in Montana for a few years and loved it up there, but it was time to get back to Texas. And we moved down here, but we could not move back to the big city of San Antonio. So we uh, found ourselves in the hill country again and moved to Kerrville and, and been here ever since and, uh, and you know, kind of made some roots here. And so, you know, uh, I, I, uh, I was raised by a wonderful uh, family. My mom and dad 
Uh, we're both, uh, you know, dedicated to family, dedicated to church. My dad was a small business owner, and uh, so he had that entrepreneurial spirit. And so, uh, you know, that love of being an entrepreneur, helping people. My mom was a school teacher, so I have that teacher ma- mindset. I have that entrepreneurial mindset. Uh, my Again, we were in church anytime the doors were open, so that uh, aspect of loving God and loving others is is embedded in me. And really, that's that's really what those three things drive me every day uh, of how do I be a good dad? How do I be a good husband? How do I be a good follower of Christ? And then how do I give back to the community and, and, and really, uh, you know, invest in, in those around me. So you showed me a way to um, worship, be a man of God and and also understand that um, I am human. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to thank you personally You bet. in front of everybody (laughs) that um, you helped me uh, stay on the path and um, yeah, I just, I really appreciate it. I am saved, but I'm also a sinner and I work on it every single day. And I want everybody to, out there to know that um, I, I am a child of God and I'm proud of it. And um, I'm honored to be a member of the sanctuary and I'm honored to have you as my pastor. I really am. Well, one of the things that you know about me that these listeners may not know. And so, and it does define, you know, you asked, you know, how to become the man I am today. And one of the things is a little over three years ago, I, uh, my life got changed at, you know, 49 years old. I had to reinvent my life cause I ended up going into an emergency surgery, um, and came out of it with, uh, being functionally blind. So I do have a little bit of vision left in one eye. Um, but I couldn't drive anymore. I couldn't uh, get around without a cane, um, uh, or without the help of someone else. And, um, and that brokenness, uh, you know, the, the Bible tells us that the Lord is with the brokenhearted. And I think that's a situation where um, what you just said about helping you, you know, where you're at is when you're preaching and you're talking from a standpoint of brokenness, I think people are able to um, identify whatever level their brokenness is. And so um, Paul talked about that in the word that he said, you know, he had a thorn in the side and it, that, that kept him grounded. And I think, you know, um, uh, I wouldn't wish blindness on anyone. It's not something I encourage people to uh, pursue, if you know what I mean. But for me, uh, it's something that definitely helps me, uh, you know, ensure that I'm always um, talking with people and helping them from a standpoint of, you know, hey, we all have brokenness in our life. There's all, everybody has some challenge. And overcoming that challenge is a step-by-step process. And, um, And that's really what I've learned is I went through a depression. You know, that was a tough thing. Now to just lay in bed after surgery and go, I can't see. I'm never going to do what I thought I was going to do. I'm never going to accomplish some of the things I thought I would accomplish was what I was laying in bed thinking. And, and I really just decided, no, that that's not the case that if I truly have faith, then, um, I got to put one foot in front of the other and, and that's the journey. And, uh, and that whether I, you know, am healed of blindness on this side of heaven, which doesn't look like that's going to happen. Um, God's capable. He could do that if he wanted to, but it doesn't look like that's going to happen. So, but what is my journey and what does God have for me? And I tell this to the congregation, you've heard me say it many times. If you woke up with breath in your lungs this morning, then you have a purpose and you have a plan. So get after it. And so that's really what I do. And I I hope that's encouraging the people around me, whether I'm working with high school students or preaching on Sunday or working with a, a company here in town, trying to help them be more profitable and, and being more impactful to the people around them. That's, that's, that's really the way I look at life. How do you keep the faith when you are going blind? Well, um, 
You know, that that's difficult. Um, and, you know, the story of my blindness, um, I, when at 16, I was diagnosed with glaucoma. So I knew this day was coming, so it didn't come as a surprise. I didn't have a situation where it was a freak accident and then I was blind. I, I knew the day was coming, but I really hoped that I would, uh, you know, kind of outrun that storm and that I'd be, you know, 90 years old sitting on the front porch with a glass of tea when I went blind, not having to support a family and, and, and you know, be in the middle of my middle-aged life. Uh, so, you know, I, I went through the stages of grief. I went through the denial. I went through, you know, the anger. I went through the, you know, bargaining. And I went through the depression. And um, when I was in that depression state, uh, I was listening to the Bible. I just had the Bible turned on, and I was listening to it. And, and I would fall asleep, and, and it would always, I would always get to the John 9. I was saying, I always tell people, when you read the Bible, start in the book of John, you know. And so I started with John and like, I just need to follow my own advice. And, and I would, I'd fall asleep every time I got to John nine and I'm like, well, what in the world? So, uh, I did this like three times. And so finally I was up and I, you know, I couldn't read the Bible, but I was listening to it. And I said, okay, I'm just going to start at John nine. Well, of course that's the story of the healing of the blind man. And I thought, okay, well that's ironic or maybe that's just God or maybe that's who knows it's a coincidence, but I started reading about it and I thought, well, what a, what a crazy story um, because here's a situation where the guy's blind and here's what, you know, first of all, he's this, you know, uh, kind of this study that, you know, those, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, why is this guy blind? Was it his son or his parents? Well, it's like, well, wait a minute. Why am I an object lesson? You know, why, why couldn't you just have compassion? Why do I have to be an object lesson kind of thing is what I'm sure the blind guy was thinking. And and Jesus said, well, it was neither. And, and really he tried to help them understand this is not a situation of sin. This is about God being glorified. And then he reaches down and he spits in the dirt and creates mud, rubs it in the guy's eyes. Well, just because you're blind doesn't mean you can't feel your yeah. eyes. And so I find that a very interesting story, right? You know, okay, we're going to take a blind guy and make it worse. I'm going to rub mud in his eye. And then he didn't just say, okay, you're healed. He said, go to the pool of Shalom and wash. And, uh, or Shalom, not Shalom, Shalom and wash. Well, Salome is the pool of being sent is what it means. And it was on the edge or at the outskirts of town down in a valley. And so this guy had to walk past the pool of Bethesda, which was really close to the temple. So he could have gone there. That was the healing pool. To fight the urge. Yeah. But then he was like, no, no, no. God told me to go to the pool of Salome, which is outside of town down in a valley. Well, I don't know if you know much about blind people, but we don't like, uh, you know, ups and downs. We like nice flat surfaces. Yeah. And so this guy had to have fallen, busted his knees, busted his shins. He was probably bloody, beaten, and bruised by the time he got to that pool. And what I learned from that was every step that he took towards that pool was an act of faith. And that what Jesus told him was, here, I'm, I'm going to rub this mud in your eye, but I want you to go to this pool because I have a blessing for you. And I, I think, you know, everybody has some type of blessing that God has promised them. Um, and maybe for some, it's, it's a huge, you know, financial blessings for some, it's maybe a wonderful family for some, who knows, maybe it's just, you know, what we might consider a mediocre life, but God has a plan and a purpose and a blessing for each person. And I don't think this side of heaven, it's going to be that I'm going to be able to see like I used to be able to see, but I know that he has a blessing for me. And my job is just to put one foot in front of the other and make the journey. And that's what I learned from that that John nine passage was that Jesus is saying, trust me, every step is a trust. And so when you say, how do you keep the faith? It's like, well, it's step by step. And for me to say, I have faith in my five steps ahead of me. I don't, 
I just have to take one step at a time. Life is a, an adventure. Life's a journey. And, uh, and I just trust God every step of the way. That's the reason that I continue to bring my family to the sanctuary is because, um, I'll be honest with you, church isn't easy. Um, initially, it wasn't easy for me to go to. I wanted Kaylee, my daughter, to be raised in, um, and when things got hard later on in life, to fall back on Christ, not on right. alcohol or any other substance. Sure. And I wanted to have a correct, you know, a right foundation. Mm-hmm. And um, the, the reason we keep going back is is uh, because of you. You you lead from the front. You, you are, you are going blind. I mean, almost there, but you are up there. You're smiling. You are making us feel better. You're providing value in our lives, but you have no excuse. And, um, when I think I'm having a bad day, um, I think about you and, um, I think about, you know, others that, you wish they had, you know, just the things that I take for granted. Hmm. And uh, I, I truly, I, I don't think I've ever told you that, but you bring inspiration to us. And, and not just not just through the word, but th- through, your, through what you do. Well, I appreciate it. I think you're too, way too kind on me. I think the, the Holy Spirit and the Lord does all the work. I just, uh, you know, get to be a part of that. And I think, you know... That's the beauty. Uh, God has a plan on this earth, and when He lets us join in on that, it it really is a blessing. And so, and you know, you you are a part of that as well. And it's an inspiration to see you and what you're doing with your family and what you've overcome. Uh, you know, I I love your story. I think that's the beauty of uh, you know we're just we just finished celebrating Christmas and that redemption story that started with the birth of Jesus and that God said I I have a plan and my plan is to send my Son. And he is going to redeem the world to a relationship with me. And, you know, you think about it. I, I've been able to overcome many things in my life, and you've been able to overcome alcoholism. You've been able to overcome yep. a massive amount of debt, and mm-hmm. you sacrifice. And overcoming is not something we get to do on our own. I think to overcome the issues and the obstacles of this world, uh, we need God. And um, and I think you are a testimony of that, too. And so you know, as much as uh, you want to throw, uh, you know, inspiration that you get from me, it, it, it comes right back. You know, that's a boomerang situation because anytime I see the Lord working in people like you and your family, it's an inspiration to me. And so, uh, and that's that's the beauty of giving back. And the whole idea of what this Kerrville podcast is about is, you know, okay, people that are giving to the community of Kerrville. Yes. Well, when you give, it, it's it's hard. You cannot outgive God. And so when you say, I'm going to give to the community and I'm going to inspire the community, what, has, what happens? Well, they ended up inspiring you right back. And so and that, that's kind of a fun part of, uh, of doing this is, it, you know, the more you give, the more you get. And it's a, it's, you don't do it for that reason, but it's, a, it's, it, it's really amazing to see how that works. David, ladies and gentlemen, this is why David Robbins is in my life, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I just, I, I learn from this man constantly. I'm just I'm just happy to have you in my life, David. Thank you so much. Well, it's a pleasure being here. And like I said, really? it's a pleasure watching you and your family grow. And, you know, in case y'all didn't know, his family grew by a little baby, uh, you know, not too many months ago and little baby <laughs> Elliot. You know, some of y'all weathered uh, winter storm Elliot, but he's weathering, uh, you know, storm Elliot as a, a he'll be doing that for many years to come. So now he's a cute young little boy. And uh, it is amazing to just uh, see your family grow and see you grow 
both, uh, you know, physically with a, a new member of your family, but growing emotionally and spiritually is, it's really a, it's a joy. Thank you, David. And that's it. We financially planned for two and, uh, <laughs> we will get back into financial planning. So what is the difference between a personal money coach and a financial advisor? Well, you know, the a financial advisor uh, is, first of all, they have um, some some limitations that they have to work in because they have uh, a license, uh, depending on what license they have, what they can do. But, you know, one license allows them to sell life insurance. Another license allows them to uh, recommend and, and, and give you investment advice. And so I don't have either one of those licenses. Um, and I did, did not do that because I, I didn't feel like I was capable or whatever, but that's not what I'm doing. I'm not selling products. And again, I recommend financial advisors. I have a wonderful relationship with financial advisors here in town, and there are some amazing financial advisors here in Kerrville. Um, and so this is not an anti-financial advisor, but that's not what I am. What I do is is I help people make decisions um, for their financial future. And so that will be part of that is using a financial advisor to uh, choose the correct investment opportunities. Um, but if you choose to invest in an annuity or you choose to invest in a mutual fund, it doesn't change what... Uh, I receive. If I'm working with you as a financial coach, I'll give you a contract and you'll pay me an hourly rate and I will give you the best advice that I can give you for your best results. Uh, whether that helps me uh, uh, or not, whether that means that you'll cease being my client or whether that means you'll buy a product that will help you or not help you, um, that is the situation. Whereas a financial advisor, they only make money if you um, you know put your assets under their care or you buy a product from them. And so now there are some other financial advisors that do what they would call a fiduciary relationship where they are a fee-based only. And so uh, it, it differs. But a financial coach just looks at where your point A is and your point B is and says, how do we get you from point A to point B as fast as possible? And then reevaluate as you go along. So think of it as a, a personal fitness trainer. You can go to the mm -hmm. gym and you can try it on your own. Um, and you'll find out, you know, two years later when you've not lost any weight and you haven't gained any muscle mass and you go, okay, I give up. I'm, I need some help. How do I get from where I want to be to where, uh, I, from where I am now to where I want to be. And so that's where, you know, a financial money coach, uh, is, is kind of that same kind of idea. Um, and then from a, a business coach standpoint, uh, I'm a top profit advisor. So what that is, is about taking, instead of saying, let's get your profit, be the bottom line. Um, because you say, I've got this gross revenue and then I make all these expenses and then I get to take whatever's left. Um, we say, no, let's reverse that. Let's, let's change that equation and let's say, okay, you have your gross revenue and then you have the profit you want from your business and then learn to live on the expenses that are left. So that's just flipping the equation and having you change your mindset with your business. You didn't go into business to just, you know, pay a lot of expenses. You went into business to make profit, to benefit your family and to benefit the community in which you live. So how do we make your profit, your top priority? Um, and so that's what top profit is. And so that advisor standpoint is I can't advise you from that standpoint, but I'm not a financial advisor because that is a different uh, entity. I'm a financial coach and I will help you um, make good decisions. And then I'll point you in the direction of who you need to help you when you get to the investment. I like how you walk the walk when it comes to networking. It's that's, that's very important. Um, especially to the Curvo podcast. We started out as the Curvo small business network mm -hmm. and, um, you know, we just basically got people, got small businesses on here for free uh, to let them promote themselves, talk about what they do and, you know, who's behind the sign. Right. Um, another thing I was going to ask you is what does your average um, client look like? Or, I mean, you know, what, what financial situation are they in? Yeah. So your, your typical personal, uh, you know, financial coach situation is going to be somebody typically they're in debt. So they have a problem. 
And so we talk about where is your problem? What do we need to do? Um, and, you know, uh, let's just be honest. Most people are taught that debt's just part of life. Um, when I was growing up, I thought my dad was really smart with money. And his, his best advice to me was never have more than one car payment. It's like, well, I don't know if that's the best financial advice, but it was something my dad taught me. And so I was like, okay, I always owned one car and then I had a payment on another car or, you know, whatever. I had my wife's car paid off and I was not, you know, I was paying on mine or vice versa. Uh, you know, and that wasn't a horrible advice, but it was a, it was a very, you know, small piece of a puzzle. Um, but, you know, okay, well, how do we just get out of debt completely? How do we not be, you know, you know, in debt or a slave to the lender is what the Bible tells us. Right. Mm, yeah. And so, you know, I went and got trained in Tennessee. I got trained by Dave Ramsey and his group. Uh, I went to one of their last classes that was an in-person class uh, where they trained their financial coaches there in person. Now they do it all over, over the internet, but uh, you know, that was good. And I, and I got a lot of solid training from Dave Ramsey. I don't, um, you know, teach everything that, that you're going to hear on the Dave Ramsey show. Um, but uh, you know, that is the starting point. The people, the typical person that's going to listen to Dave Ramsey are the typical person that's in debt and they're wondering, how do I, how do I get out of this hole? Yes. That's your, your typical person. Um, now, but we teach them that, you know, you've got to do some things different. You've got to build a shovel if you're going to fill that hole back up. Um, and so how am I going to, how am I going to fill that debt hole up? And, and there's different ways to do that. And there's different ways of looking at that. And, and helping a client do that. But they really have to have a motivation to want to get out of debt. Um, and, you know, and so that that's really a client, a client that finds himself in a financial difficulty, but has a willingness to get out. That's that's the ideal customer from a financial coach standpoint. From a business standpoint, it's, you know, your small business uh, kind of person that can't afford to have a CFO, can't afford to have, um, you know, that advisor in-house. And so they kind of need that CFO to go or CFO to hire um, kind of thing where they just need that, that, phone call to say, Hey, David, I don't know what to do. I'm at, I'm at a fork in the road. Do I buy a new truck? And do I add a new crew to my plumbing business? Do I add a new crew to my HVAC, HVAC business? Um, or do I stick with what I have or how do, how do I do that? So that idea, how to scale, how to build up, how to reinvest in my business, how do I do those things? And yet, how do I make sure that I go home to my family and I'm providing for my family? So that's the ideal customer from a business, uh, coaching standpoint. Um, but, you know, as I was sharing with you earlier, you know, one of the things from a coaching standpoint, I've also given back to the community by coaching my kids. Uh, and I coached a high school basketball team here in town for some homeschoolers. And, and I kind of found myself going, if I'm doing my job well, I'm coaching during practice. But when we get to the game, if I'm having to coach in the game, maybe I didn't do my job well during practice. And so I'm learning that, that I'm applying that to my coaching with businesses is how do I give them the tools that they need to do the day to day without having to call me every time. Because if they needed to call me every time they made a decision, then they need an in-house person. That's amazing. Um, and so I'm, I'm doing my best to, you know, do that teaching mode, even with my clients. How do I teach them how to do their own thing? And I, I think I told you, it's kind of the Home Depot model. You can do it. I can help. Um, and so it's, wow. it's you doing the work. I'm just here to kind of help you when you get stuck and you need to, to move forward. So I hope that answers your question, the difference between an advisor and a coach. Um uh, they're just a different role. It absolutely does. Um, I'd like to go back on the Dave Ramsey, um, mm -hmm. you know, because he's got his baby steps. Sure. Um, I feel like he's talking to a broad range of people. Uh, I feel like he's talking to those who cannot control credit cards, who cannot um, have the responsibility of having that, um, you know, line of credit. Sure. Um, so <laughs> Dave Ramsey calls it, you can't be Ramsey-ish, you know? <laughs> sure. You hear him say that. And uh, I was Ramsey-ish before I ever met you. Right. Um, so we did the baby steps. But in the meantime, I got a Discover It secured card 
with 200 bucks. I sent them 200 bucks. They sent me a card. Mm -hmm. And then I started using, you know, 10% immediately painted off, boom, 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 you know, gas, whatever. And then they sent me a unsecured regular credit card. And then, you know, from there I started to build my credit. And then also in the meantime, I was, you know, paying off the debt and and just following the baby steps. But we were Ramsey-ish. So how come you do not follow to the T um, the baby steps? Well, first of all, I do follow the baby steps in the beginning. And so Dave Ramsey does an amazing job. Steps one through four is that's the exact steps I help people follow. Right? I'm sorry. So, I didn't mean to. No, you're fine. And so steps one through four is, you know, you got the building, you know, an emergency fund. You need to have an emergency fund. You're not going to get out of debt if you don't have an emergency fund. Now, one way I differ is Dave Ramsey's had the same emergency fund <laughs> since I've known him. And I'm sorry, inflation has happened. So I don't think $1,000 quite does it anymore. Um, you know, my recommendation is uh, depending on the situation and where you're at as to whether you have a family or don't, again, that's going to be an answer. A lot of times with a financial coach is the answer is it depends, right? Because again, I'm able to do a custom plan for you. Whereas Dave Ramsey's talking to millions and millions of people mm-hmm. on the radio. He can't talk in a custom way. So, you know, anywhere from 1500 to $2,500 is what your emergency fund needs to be. Depending on if you're a homeowner, you need a bigger one. Because if you're a homeowner, when they, you know, hot water heater goes out, it's on you. If you're a renter, it's on your landlord. Yeah. Um, so it's a little different situation. If you've got, if you're married with kids and you both have jobs and you both have to have a car that's dependable, well, then you could have both cars in the shop at the same time, you know? And so your emergency fund maybe needs to be a little bit bigger than, uh, you know, an individual that's renting and is single. Um, but about 1500 to 2500 is your first baby step. Then after you have that, then you got to start paying off debt. And, you know, I, when talking from a financial advisor, I tell people all the time, Hey, I can guarantee you, you can, you can earn 18% on your money. And they look at me and go, how in the world can you do that? It's called paying off debt. <laughs> um, every dollar you pay towards your credit card is earning you 18%. Um, and so, you know, that, that's an important situation. And there's all different ways uh, that we can talk about how to get out of debt. There's a the snowball method, the avalanche method, yeah. or, you know, I call it the emotional or financial fork method. I mean, you've got to pay your debt off the way that's going to most motivate you to continue doing that. And, and again, so developing a plan for you that's specific to you is a great way to do that. But we second number two baby step number two or my uh, four four step wealth building plan is what I call it. And number two is get out of debt, eliminate mm. your debt. If you can if you can get your emergency fund and eliminate debt, that's great. The next thing is to start to build up your cash reserves. And so Dave Ramsey says we'll get three to six months of living expenses. Well, that's the same thing as building up cash reserves. You've got to bring yourself a cushion. And then after that, now what I say is your fourth wealth building step is to invest. Now. He says that's number four through seven, your different types of investing. Of course, his step seven is giving back. You know, uh, you live like no one else. So So later you can can live like like no one one else or give like no one else. And so I do believe that. But I think, you know, and and, and as he would say, you need to be giving all along. Uh, That giving is an attitude. Generosity is an attitude. It's not a last step. If generosity is your last step, then you're on a a plan that I don't understand. Yeah. Uh, If you can't be generous with a little, you're not going to be generous with a lot. So Manuel really impacted me when he was talking about that. um, His, his, uh, for those of y'all who don't know, Manuel um, is, is there at the sanctuary as well. When y'all do go to the sanctuary, you will meet him. Um, But he was talking about giving and um, how it has given him a different perspective about money. Yeah. How it does. Yeah. It, It is totally different. And, and learning to live life with an open hand versus a closed fist is very important. You're, you're going to be a lot healthier if you live life with an open hand. And, um, and, but when you live life with a closed fist, you're always ready for a fight. And uh, that's just a different mentality. And uh, don't be stingy. Uh, the Lord's been gracious with me, so I need to be gracious with others. And that includes my money. And uh, it doesn't mean be stupid. It means be wise. Um, but it, it does mean to be generous. And so 
that's that's really it. Is is I just talk about Dave Ramsey has the seven baby steps. I talk about four wealth building steps. And when you get to invest, that's where it really has to be an individual plan. And do I invest in my kid's college fund? Do I invest in a house? Do I invest in mutual funds? Do I invest in life insurance policies? Do I invest in whatever the case may be? Do I invest in real estate? How do I invest that? Do I invest that in my business? You know, we have a lot of small business owners here in Kerrville. And so, you know, what is investment? Well, investment may be adding a crew to my business. And that's the best wealth building tool you could use. Mm. And you may be getting 30 and 40% return on your money that you're not going to get out of the stock market if you just added another crew to your business. Um, but you may be adding a headache that your wife says, no, do not add another crew. I don't want that. Or you may say, no, I'm a good landlord and I want to add another, uh, you know, real estate project. And then again, you may say, I'm not a very good landlord. Adding a real estate project is not what would be good for me. It would just really put a burden on me. So again, that's where we're learning to know my clients, learning to know who they are, what they have a tolerance for. Uh, that's a really important part of how we can help them develop a plan for their life. So it's not a one size fits all, everybody. Nope. There, there are different, different ways and David will help you find the way. <laughs> um, earlier we were speaking about the uh, snowball method versus the avalanche method. And um, my wife and I did the snowball method. Sure. Um, but um, there is a interest, um, you know, what, what is the avalanche method? So the avalanche the method, method is if you want the financial answer. So, you know, going back to my background, I have a degree in accounting uh, and then I have a master's with an emphasis in uh, managerial accounting and marketing. So I have, I have, you know, two degrees and I've studied a lot. And so if you say, okay, what's the best way to get out of debt, the fastest way? Well, when you start putting pen to paper and you start running the numbers, the avalanche method is the best because what the avalanche method says to do is take the highest interest rate and pay that off first. The problem is what if the highest interest rate is one of your larger debts? Mm -hmm. And so emotionally, uh, it's hard when you say, okay, your first debt we're going to pay off has, let's just say it has a 17% interest rate. And we want to get that paid off first uh, before we pay off your one with a 12% interest rate. Makes sense, right? Well, the problem is what if that one's going to take you three years to pay off? And you go, I can't do this for three years and mm. not see any progress. Where if you say, well, what if we take this one that's only a 5% interest and we get that paid off in six months? And you go, oh, that feels so much better. Well, then that's the snowball method. The snowball method says, let's take the smallest one and let's get that one done because now we're going to get some traction. Um, but what I tell people is really there's an emotional, or again, what I say is a financial fork. So there's a fork in the road. Which one do I go next? And I say sometimes it's the, the best thing to do is take that emotional one. I've, I've had clients that were divorced and they said, you know, this one reminds me of my ex and we went into debt together. I want to get this out of my life because there's an emotional <laughs> attachment to this. And I just want that one gone. And you go, okay, well, let's attack that one first. And it may not fit the avalanche. It may not fit the snowball. It may not fit any other method except for that's the best thing for you in your life is to have that one out of the way so that you can move on and you can say, okay, now I'm feeling progress. I can do this one. Yeah. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of the problem is people just start with, you know, I'm going to get rid of debt, but they don't look at some of the other situations. And some of the, the best ways of getting out of debt is what we call either debt swapping and, and so when you say, what is debt swapping? Well, let's say I have a, you know, Ford F-250, you know, platinum that I'm paying $620 a month on. And I go, well, what if I swap that debt with, you know, uh, an average Ford F-150? Yeah, I'll, I'll take a little hit on my status. I won't be able to drive around town with the platinum and that kind of stuff. But it gets me from point A to point B. It gets the job done. I'm not, my business is not going to suffer. My personal life is not going to suffer. But I went from, you know, a 600 and some odd dollar payment down to $200. Yes. Well, you just added $400 a month that you can put towards debt. And we call that building a bigger shovel because you have a debt hole that you need to fill up. 
You never dig yourself out of debt, by the way, folks. When you dig a hole and you dig, you dig further down. So when you have a shovel, you want to put the money, you want to put the dirt back in the hole. You don't want to dig the hole further. And so, but the bigger shovel you have, the quicker you're going to fill that hole. And so we talk about building your shovel by looking at everything you have. And it might be an asset swap or a debt swap, a situation that you may do. And that may be part of your debt elimination strategy, which is different than a snowball or an avalanche or even emotional. And so that's that's where looking at each financial step and, and, and going, what's the best thing next? What's the next best step? Next best step. Um, that's really the way to, to really tackle any financial uh, difficulty, including debt. It is so hard. It is not easy. <laughs> it is very, very difficult to sit there and look at everything you owe. And, you know, you're like, okay, what do we do? Where do we start? What, right. you know, it, it is very intimidating when you see that final number mm-hmm. that you owe. And right. then, you know, it, the, and I am a little biased. I, the snowball method was very um, psychologically kind of like rewarding. You know, you knock out, like you have, you know, four or five $25 payments and you start knocking them out and you see, you know, your credit karma likes it and you're like, woohoo, yeah. it's happening. And then, you know, you're making progress just like you said, but what really like you're hemorrhaging money on the interest side. Right. And you know, it, it's, well, you know, and, and you know, the other thing is from a financial coach standpoint that I help people understand is not everything's set. Um, you know, you'd be amazed if you call your credit card company, what you can oh, negotiate. Yes. So even though you have one credit card that's at a 17% interest rate, um, you might be able to call them, get it taken down to a 12% interest rate. I've worked with a client where we had a situation where they lost their job due to COVID and there was a program going with Citibank that they had a COVID relief uh, situation. And we called them up and we set that on a five-year payoff and they put it down to 0% interest on a five-year payoff. (laughs) And it was amazing. They were paying $300 a month minimum payment. They went from $300 a month minimum payment, making no progress hardly at all. Uh, to a $260 payment on a five-year plan to be done. How'd you feel after that win? Well, they they were like, this is amazing. How did I just gain $40 a month and know that in five years that's gone? Uh, I said, well, because we called and negotiated. And so, again, nothing is, you don't have to just take life. You know, you need to take life by the horns and, and go after it. And so the worst they can tell you is no. Yes. So you just yes. call, you call them up and you say, hey, what do I do? I mean, you're in the sales business, so what's the worst somebody can tell you? No. No. But if you never ask the question, you're never going to get a yes. That reminds me of a book I read. It's called Never Split the Difference. Oh, yeah. And uh, Good negotiating book. Yes. It's a very good negotiating book. And you got to balance all these different books you read with when it comes to sales. Because on one hand, you don't want to be the sell me this pen guy. Right. On the other hand, you know, you want you want your clients to feel comfortable. But on we all want to close. Right. You know, so you just got to balance and, you know, I guess find what works for you. And I'm still learning every day and reading. And Oh, yeah. And, well, uh, life in general, in sales and in anything, in family and working with your wife, uh, you know, working through things with your kids, everything's about finding a win-win. Um, and I had a great uh, teacher one time and he said, hey, listen, this is what you got to do. Anytime you're working with somebody on closing a deal, you got to let him go home. If this, you're talking to a guy, let him go home to his wife and tell his wife he won. Mm-hmm. And if you can get to a deal where he gets to go home and tell his wife, listen, I won today, then you're going to close the deal. And uh, if you can get a win-win out of that, that's great. And if you're talking with a female, let her go home to her husband and say, hey, honey, I won today. Yeah. And and that's the deal. And if they feel like they won and you won, and, and that is possible. You don't have every, – every transaction doesn't have a winner and a loser. You can have a win-win situation. Yeah. And you just have to work to get to that. But, again, how do you help that guy or that gal go home to their family and say – you know, I'm a winner. If, if they feel defeated when they go home, you didn't really win. 
from all my clients listening right now, uh, one thing I tell them is when we're making a decision is my goal is when we get to the closing table, you feel good about the whole process. Sure. Yeah, it's going to be, it, you know, we're going to have a lot of things that we're going to have to cover together and we're going to mm -hmm. be a team through the whole thing. But my goal is whatever we do, we need to look back and be like, man, we did the right thing. I feel right. good about this closing. Sure. I don't feel like I sold my house for uh, less than it should have. I don't feel like uh, we bought that house for more than we should have paid, you know? Right. And and that's that's my goal every single time. You can ask my clients. I say, well, let's see. Well, how will this make us feel at the closing table? Right. And uh, that's that's helped me make a lot of decisions, too. Like, how, how are you going to feel tonight when you're in bed? Right. You know? How are you going to feel next month? Yeah, you may make this closing or make this paycheck, but how are you going to feel about it? Will that make you more in the future? Will sure. that create a, a long-term client? You right. know, I'm, I may lose a sale right now because I, I just don't feel right about it. Mm -hmm. But I, I don't know. It, it, it may lose me money. It may make me money in the long run, but I know I'll be able to sleep better. That's right. At the end of the day, you want to be able to put your head on the pillow and sleep well. And, uh, and you know, and that's, there's days we mess up. Sure. You know, do we do everything perfect? Absolutely not. We live on the earth and we're human. But, um, but you know, that's what we strive for. How do we, how do we make sure that our clients and ourselves put our head on the pillow at the end of the day and rest peacefully? Um, that, that's, that should be everybody's goal. When I first went to the sanctuary, you told me, because um, we were going to leave and, you know, sanctuary was in the middle of an intern pastor. And, and me and Sheena, uh, quite frankly, were like, Hey, it's, it's our chance to say bye, you know, like, mm -hmm. and there's, there's, you know, we can, we can sneak out and nobody will notice <laughs> we're gone. And, uh, and then you came and you're like, Hey, why don't you come to church? And I'm like, well, honestly, I'm, uh, you know, I cuss, I'm not perfect. I'm, you know, and, and you told me, you, you said you made a metaphor about the gym and you said, you don't, you only see a uh, chiseled people in the gym all buffed up. And I'm like, mm -hmm. no, you see, you know, everybody in between, you're like, exactly. This is where you come to work yeah. on yourself. This is this is like your gym. Yeah. And it is. And I, I don't feel out of place. And, and and I just, you've changed that place. Honestly, you really have. Well, and that should be the case. And I, I when I would go to churches and try to see, you know, is this a place I want to attend? I loved it when I would look in front of me and there would be somebody in a suit and tie. And next to them is somebody in jeans and a, and a T-shirt with, with holes in them. Because... Mm. Um, you know, the, the truth is uh, a church should be a hospital more than a country club. Mm. Uh, those that are hurting should want to come and feel like they could get some kind of help. Um, if it's just a, you got to, you got to be polished up and have the right clothes and drive the right car and, and say the right things. Um, you know, that's, that's not what, when I read the Bible, that's not what Jesus said the church was about. And, you know, bottom line is church is the people. It's the, it's the, it's the body of Christ. It's not a building. And, um, you know, there's a guy, John Burke, he's out of Austin, wrote a great book, and the book was called No Perfect People Allowed. And I think that's, that's wonderful. I mean, we're not looking for Ken and Barbie. Um, that's not who Jesus came uh, to, to help. He said, no, I came for those that are hurting. And, again, that, that goes from that standpoint of I, if, <laughs> if there's anybody in that, that understands brokenness, um, I understand brokenness, and, and I feel it sometimes and so again uh preaching from that standpoint or teaching from that standpoint uh really helps me make sure that i never um feel like i got it all together and that i can tell people uh I i'm not as good as paul paul used to in the, in the in the new testament paul said if you want to follow christ be like me i, I man i i can't i can't say that i i, <laughs> I say you know i'm up here and, and preparing the sermon uh today 
uh, or this week, uh, over the last month, whenever however that sermon came about, man, it, it was challenging. And I get up there and say, listen, I'm preaching to myself as much as I am to you. Yes, today. you do. And, and that's just the truth. And, and, uh, and, and I think that's, that's how the Lord works. Um, if, if I got up there and told you I had it all together and you could just follow me, um, then you're following the wrong thing. I need to be pointing you to the, the one that we're all following. And, um, and so that's just, that's my mentality. And so I, I hope that that helps people, uh, whether, no matter what church they go to, uh, that they just know that, you know, most, most times right before I preach, I just ask, I say, Lord, you know, speak to us because we're listening. Um, because really that's the thing. We're not there to listen to any man or woman. We're there to listen to God. And, uh, and, and God does speak. He speaks through his word. He speaks through people. He speaks through circumstances. We just have to listen. Um, you know, be still and know that he is God. That's what the Lord tells us to do. And, um, and he doesn't speak in the earthquake. He doesn't speak in the, the wind. He speaks in that still small voice. Who is not allowed at the sanctuary? Um, gosh, I guess no one. I mean, you know, I mean, what if they're wearing black and have goth? you know, makeup on and well, come on. I mean, you know, I don't know where they're at and what caused them to feel like that's what they want to do. Um, but you know, I, I, I cut my teeth in ministry and children's ministry and youth ministry. Um, and I remember when I was a youth pastor, we had a young lady that she came to my youth group. Um, and her name was Wolfie and she dressed like a wolf. And, um, I thought that was odd and strange but she was kind of quirky and funny and whatever. And I got to know her and turns out that, you know, she also believed that, you know, God wasn't the only person to worship. She worshiped all kinds of things. And she was a really strange young lady and she believed a lot of strange things. And, uh, a lot of parents were like, I don't want you allowing that young lady to come. She's a bad influence on my child. And, uh, and so I had to take a lot of heat from that. And I said, well, you know, she's a child of God and she's see- she's searching and seeking the truth. And, uh, and as long as she's searching and seeking the truth, she's welcome here. And I hope it teaches your child to search and seek the truth and not just seek what their mom and dad have taught them, but for them to, to learn their own faith and own their own faith. And, uh, you know, that young lady ended up, you know, stopping dressing like a wolf and she started professing her faith in Jesus and she came around <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, I'm just, I probably lost a few families over that and a few people decided to go to a different youth group. Um, but that young lady, um, has a different outlook on life. I have no idea what's going on with Wolfie. Uh, I have no idea. Uh, I haven't kept up with her, but all I know is for my season of life that I had the chance to minister and influence her. Um, I was able to, you know, rub a little bit of Jesus on her. I was able to be what I say. Jesus was skin onto her. And sometimes we don't know. We may be the only Jesus somebody sees. Yes. And it's our job to not be David Robbins, not be John Barrera, but just to do our best to strip all that away and just be as much like Jesus as we can. And um, I don't, you know, Jesus, you know, he said it many times. I mean, the Pharisees would say, why are you hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? And he's like, well, because I didn't come for the well. I came for the sick. And, um, and he I think he enjoyed hanging out with those guys. And then there's times people say, oh, I, I, don't, I don't like church or I don't like religion. And I go, man, me either. And they're like, well, what do you mean? You're a pastor. And I'm like, well, I'm sorry. And Jesus didn't really like religious folks very well either. Uh, the Pharisees were some of his most difficult people to deal with. Um, Have you ever gotten heat for that? Oh, yeah, sure. 
Um, you do, know, do people say that you're not doing it right or you're not? Well, I think they just feel like uh, you're being what they would call tolerant. And, um, and, and here's what I would say. Jesus was one of, the most, one of the most intolerant people on the planet, right? But he was yep. the most loving person. So you take the woman that came, you know, was caught in adultery, and they brought her in front of everybody, and they were like, you know, hey, we can punish her by stoning her. And all these guys had, had rocks in their hand. They were ready to chunk it at her. And uh, Jesus, he didn't, you know, get up and give a speech. He didn't get up and give a sermon. He just bent down and started playing in the dirt. And there's a lot of, you know, philosophers or, or uh, theologians that, that say, hey, what he was doing. A lot of people feel like he was starting to write every sin that the guys that are standing around had done. And he basically just said, hey, be careful throwing rocks in glass houses, right? He mm. said, hey, whoever's without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. And starting with the oldest to the youngest, they dropped their stones and walked away. Now, what he didn't do after that was said and done is he didn't look at the woman and say, hey, you're good. Don't worry about it. Just keep doing what you're doing. He was intolerant of the sin. He said, go and sin no more. I'm not going to tolerate it. He doesn't want us to sin. It's not good for us. But he said, where are your accusers? Who is here to condemn you? And mm. she said, they're all gone. And he goes, then I don't either. So he just extends immense amount of love to us, but it doesn't mean he tolerates sin. And I think th that's a fine line that is hard to walk. And you're going to get criticized if you try to walk that line because some people are going to say you're too tolerant and some people are going to say, you know, that you don't love enough uh, because you didn't accept me for who I am in my sin and let me keep doing it. Yeah, you've corrected me. You've told me, um, ladies and gentlemen, I don't want y'all to think that Mr. Robbins, um, you know, he, he will tell you if you are doing wrong. He, he it, It's not just a free-for-all, you know, come to the sanctuary. and, and uh, No, if you go there, like you said, it's like a hospital. And you go there if you want to, if you want to fix yourself and, th and that's where, where I've gone. That's where I bring my family. And I've asked him before. I was like, you know, Hey, this is going on. What should I do? And he, he said, well, you, you're not doing right. I'll tell you that much. Well, if we truly love each other, when somebody's doing something that's harmful to them, if you love them, you're going to ask them to stop. And, uh, you know, and, and it, you know, sometimes we pick and choose the categories we tell people to stop doing right. Um, you know, we'll say, hey, you need to stop drinking while I go and grab another donut. Ooh. Well, you know, <laughs> vices are vices, and we all have to be careful. And, uh, and the whole thing I just shared about don't throw rocks in glass houses, I think sometimes we have to be careful. But if I love you and you're doing something that's harmful to you, then I'm going to encourage you to stop. And I would expect you to do the same of me. If I'm, if I'm speaking poorly to my children and you see that, you should come to me and say, hey, David, you, maybe you're being a little too harsh. Maybe that's not right. Mm. And, and that's okay. And if I'm humble enough to receive correction from somebody, then I should listen. And uh, maybe I choose to continue to do what I was doing, or maybe I don't. But, um, but I think we need to be able to speak into people's lives that have allowed us to. I think that's another thing we have to be careful of. Sometimes we, as, um, as Christ followers, we like to speak into people's lives that haven't given us permission to do so. Mm. Um, and I think we have to be careful there. I think, How do you... Go ahead. You know, how do you ride that line? Yeah, that's difficult. Um, you know, I, for whatever reason, sometimes because I'm a pastor or because the position I'm in, uh, maybe because, you know, <laughs> uh, 
my business is, uh, you know, the, the website is Need Sage Advice. So I guess people just come and ask me for advice. When people ask for advice, I'm going to give it to them. Um, but I think we need to be careful if they don't ask for it. You know, maybe we have to practice this thing of putting one your top lip onto the bottom lip and <laughs> keeping your mouth shut. And um, that's hard to do sometimes. Um, it's even harder when it's people that are very close to us, family members, children, uh, things like that. It's hard to do that. And when you're a parent, um, when your child doesn't want to hear it, it's too late. You know, too bad. You know, you're the parent. It's your yes. job. Um, but when it's just a coworker or a friend and they're not ready to receive, you know, some correction from you, then maybe it's not the time for you to say it. Um, but it, but it's hard, uh, to know when to, and when not to. And I think that's sometimes that's, um, when the Lord puts people like that in your life, uh, that is a way that he increases your prayer life. Cause you've got to seek the Lord and say, okay, God, do I say something? Do I not say something? I need wisdom, mm. Lord. I need to know what to say or what not to say. And sometimes the not to say is more important because what you're doing when you don't say something, they know you wanted to, they know what they're doing is wrong and they know you wanted to correct them. And if you choose to keep your mouth shut, you may have just earned some respect that three months later, six months later, a year later, you're the person they're going to come to. And you're the person they're going to ask, what do I do? And they know the answer they're about to get. Uh, you know, and sometimes people come and ask you a question, knowing the answer because they just need you to confirm what they're feeling. Um, but if it's not wanted or welcome, then you may actually push them further away. And uh, the last thing I want to do is push somebody away from the love of Jesus because of my own personal opinion. Um, and so, again, the Bible's clear on what's right and what's wrong. But um, it's a little fuzzier when it's when is the right time to tell somebody they're right or wrong. Mm. Uh, does being a pastor, how does that affect your your personal life? Have, have, have you gained friends, lost friends? <laughs> has, um, you, you know, like just because... You don't take off your cape once you leave the church. You are, oh, go ahead. No, I think uh, part of it is a lot of people just choose not to ask (laughs) Uh, because, you know, they feel like they, they, they project upon a pastor what the answer they're going to get. And that's unfortunate. I think sometimes because um, I think as you get to know me, you're going to get the answer you would have gotten from me before I was a pastor and after I'm a pastor. I didn't come into the pastorship the way most people do. I think I, you know, earlier in the podcast, I said, I have two degrees in accounting. Um, you know, that's not the normal method to become a pastor. So I was ordained in a non-denominational church in San Antonio. Um, I don't have a master's in divinity. I do have uh, a lot of hours in religion. Uh, I was on track to a religion minor, but never got it. Um, and I have done a lot of uh, religious classes, but not for a degree. And so I have a lot of training. I have a lot of on-the-job training. But I don't have an MDiv, and I didn't go the route that most people did. So I have a little bit different perspective uh, than some pastors. But uh, the the bottom line is people view pastors um, through a lens that they've grown up in. So maybe they've grown up in a, yes. a church that was a little harsh, and so they, they view the pastor that way. Or maybe they grew up in a church that the pastor you know, always asked for money, and, and so they have this jaded thing of, oh, you just want my money or you just want this. Um, and so, you know, it's a little bit different. Um, so that is a, you know, sometimes people ask me questions because I am a pastor and sometimes they don't because I'm because a pastor. Because you're a pastor. So I, I just find it's really how they were raised and, and what, how they view 
the church and how they view pastors. Um, and it takes me a while to, to be able to get to know someone and have a relationship with them before sometimes they feel comfortable uh, to ask me questions. So as a father, I've, um, I'm surprised to find out that I learned more from, from being a father from my children than I think I've ever taught them. I, <laughs> I don't know. But do you feel that way as being a pastor with the people you're trying to lead to Christ? Oh, yeah. So I cut my teeth, like I said, because my first job as a pastor was um, a K through third children's ministry. So there was my first, uh, you know, flock of people to pastor was a bunch of kindergarten to third graders. And um, and every time I thought I was going to teach them something, they taught me something. It was just amazing. I remember one of the kids in the classroom, uh, you know, he would just lay down on the floor, stare up at the ceiling, you know, uh, blurt out answers, you know, and he was just, it was just, just, just a distraction. And I'm like, what is wrong with this kid? And every time I thought this kid had no idea what was going on, I would ask a question and, and he would raise his hand and he would have the answer. I'm like, how is this kid learning anything in this classroom? And, uh, you know, and he just, that kid now, uh, he has served in our military. He has come home. He's suffered through PTSD. PS, uh, he has PS. He's gone through a situation where he almost committed suicide, but now he is a loving, wonderful husband and father. He gives back to the community. He serves the Lord. He serves others. He has done amazing things. This kid, and he's no longer a kid. He's, you know, in his late thirties now. And just as an amazing person and a man of God and has given much to this, this country, much to his family, much to others. And, and yet he just had a different way of learning. And so he has taught me and it's so fun to watch him and see him grow as a dad and as a husband and as a follower of Christ. And so here's a kid that I've known for, you know, a long time. I've known him since he was, you know, seven or eight years old. Now he's in his thirties. And, um, and I, I just continue to learn from him. So it's very interesting. And I, and again, that's just kind of like, you can't outgive God. You can't out teach him either. Even time, every time I think I'm teaching someone or preaching at someone, um, watching how God works through them teaches me more than I'll ever know wow. from, from studying. So you've been doing this almost 30 years? Oh, yeah. Well, again, my, my first job was bivocational. I didn't get paid for it. Uh, basically, I helped a church in San Antonio start from uh, just a you know less than 100 people meeting on the steps of a community center uh, to then we started doing it in an elementary school. And then they grew. At, at one point, that church was running about 7,000 on a weekend. And when I was employed there and so, uh, you know, but I started by just being a a volunteer and, uh, we didn't have a children's ministry at the time. And we finally got our first building and the pastor came to me and said, Hey, listen, uh, I think you need to start our kindergarten to third grade ministry. And I'm like, I don't know anything about that. And he goes, (laughs) yeah, but you're good at teaching the kids. So just figure it out. Uh, there's this conference in Chicago. We want you to go, we'll pay for you to go up there and come back and start it. So we went up to this church called Willow Creek. If you've ever heard of Willow Creek, Bill Hybels was a pastor at the time and they had a conference and we went up there to the conference and uh, we, we learned a lot about children's ministry and we came home and we figured it out and we made it work. And, and that was my first job, uh, but I didn't get paid for it. Um, that was just kind of my wife and I, we didn't have kids at the time. And that was our fun thing to do. We'd spend time uh, going up to the church and planning curriculum and then working on the weekend. We had a Saturday and a Sunday service at that church. So we, we worked both Saturday and Sunday at the church and, um, and that's what we would do. And, uh, then they, uh, I ended up, you know, having kids and we didn't volunteer for a while and I was started my own business and we, um, started a business in May, right before September 11th. 
uh, uh, when September 11th was not a good day, right? Mm. And that was a bad time to start a business. And right about the time that business was closing down because of uh, the economic situation, I ended up uh, getting two job offers, one back in the corporate world and one that I had told my spiritual mentor, hey, listen, when the Lord calls, I'll serve the Lord. And he called me up and said, hey, would you like to be the junior high pastor? And I'm like, are you kidding me? I don't want to be a junior high pastor. And um, so, but that was what the Lord called us to. And so my first paid job as a pastor was a junior high pastor at the church that I had helped start the kindergarten to third grade ministry. What was interesting is a lot of the junior high kids at the time were kids that I had taught. And so the, that was fun. The problem is they brought their friends. And, um, and they, they, those weren't as fun. But, you know, we did a great thing. That was, I learned a lot. That first ministry, they asked me to start a uh, junior high ministry on Saturday morning for three hours. And I went, I've never heard of a junior high ministry on Saturday morning for three hours. What is the deal? Well, what they had learned was that the demographic of that area was a lot of single moms. And these single moms had no time to go to H-E-B and that those kids were latchkey kids. They were, mm. And so the last thing that mom wanted to do was leave their kid home alone on Saturday morning also. But taking your teenage kid to H-E-B for a few hours to get the weekly groceries was not a fun prospect either. And so we developed a junior high ministry on Saturday morning that really was designed uh, to be a situation where moms could drop their kids off, know that they're going to be taught something about Jesus, have a good time, and give them a good three-hour chunk to get their errands done for the morning. And we grew that ministry from a handful of kids to about 150 kids every Saturday morning. And um, it was an amazing ministry. And, you know, it, it just taught me a lot about learning the need of the community and putting all your normal thoughts aside and saying, okay, God, what if you call me to at this time at this place? Kind of an Esther moment. Mm. For such a time as this, what are you calling us to? And uh, And learning to do that and just putting everything aside and saying, okay, God, that's what we need to do. And so uh, that was my, my first paid ministry job. And from there, I ended up taking over the high school ministry. And then we ended up, I ended up being babies, you know, cradle to college. So from babies all the way through college students. And, um, and I've been an executive pastor and now I'm a lead teaching pastor. And so I've, I've pretty much done every job there is to do in a church. And, um, and, you know, some of them I enjoyed, some of them I didn't, to be honest with you. Um, but, you know, serving the Lord is no matter what your job is, whether you work for a church or you work for yourself or you work for somebody else, if you're a follower of Jesus, your job is to serve God. And whatever he's calling you to, you just got to do it to the best of your ability. What do you say to those who are listening right now that have thought about going to church um, but have been jaded like myself through past experiences? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say, you know, Find a healthy church. And when I say find a healthy church, that really needs to be a church that says, uh, you know, they're, they're there to help you uh, get to know Jesus. Um, and so, uh, you know, if, if you feel like they're asking you to come because that you owe them something, um, that's probably not a good church to go to. Um, but if, if they're helping you become a better follower of Jesus, somebody who can understand and, and, and take that journey. Because some people are like, well, I don't know if I'm a better follower of Jesus. I don't even know who Jesus is. So it just needs to be that environment that says, okay, wherever you are in your journey, uh, they're going to meet you where you are, and they're going to help you along the way. And um, that's really what a church needs to be. Um, and so if you ever want to come check out Sanctuary, great. If you find another church here in Kerrville or wherever you live, 
um, that's helping you do that. That's, that's what it's about. But I understand being burnt by church. I get it. Yes. Um, uh, churches are run by human beings. Therefore they will fail you. Um, your best friend will fail you. Sometimes your wife or your husband will fail you. Um, and so your church is no different. Church leaders will fail you because they're humans. But that doesn't mean God has failed you. God will never fail. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. You will never be failed by God. He designed you. He created you. And he has a plan and a purpose for you. But whatever you do as an expression of that on earth with humans, there will be failure. That's just the the point of it. And that's the whole idea of grace. The grace that, that God extends to me he extends to John. He extends to you. We have to extend that to a church, but we also have to hold them accountable. The Lord tells us that those who choose to be teachers and leaders in the church, you are held to a higher standard. So it's okay to have a higher standard, but you can't judge one church because of another church's failure, or you can't judge one leader or one preacher or one pastor because of the failure of another. Um, that's just, it's not fair and it's not right. So, uh, I would say, you know, try it again because God doesn't give up on you. And so I would encourage you not to give up on him. What kind of, and this is, uh, this isn't a normal question, but I recently got life insurance and it started to make me uh, picture my family in the world without me. Mm-hmm. And it is a weird, weird thing <laughs> to do. And it made me focus a little more on my legacy um, what kind of legacy do you want to leave, not only for your family, but for for the people, just for everybody? Yeah, as far as a legacy, I just want to make sure that I've helped people move further in their journey towards God. And I hope that they've, they've come to know him. Um, and, and, you know, I know I've made mistakes. I am sure that I have deterred people from loving Jesus or loving God because of my mistakes. And, um, and, and that I... I'm not proud of that. That that's hurtful. I I don't like that. But what I hope that my legacy would be is that, you know, when they came into contact with me, they were able to be encouraged to overcome what life throws in their way and be inspired by the fact that there is a higher uh, calling and a higher purpose in life beyond what we see. And uh, if I've been able to help people see that, um, uh, it's funny, you know, one of my hashtags I use sometimes when I blog is the blind visionary. So, yeah, I may be blind, but I hope I've helped you see. Um, that's mm. really what I want my legacy to be. That's very powerful, David. Um, I just want to thank you for the value that you provide, uh, not only to Kerrville and your family, but to mine. I, I, I'm a better daddy because <laughs> of you. I'm a, I'm a better Christian because of you. Um, I have a better relationship with Christ because of you. I was jaded. And yeah. um, I, honestly, y'all just... If you don't have a church, you want to go to church. Um, if you're not perfect, come to the sanctuary. It, it's it's one hour, one hour a week, um, ten thirty, right there on Sing and Wind Drive. Um, come check it out. And uh, this gentleman right here, he'll be up in the front. He'll greet you. It's not a a big box church. It's it's um it's a small family family oriented church. Children are welcome. All are welcome. Come to the sanctuary and and just just check it out because uh, um, it's it's uh, benefited my life drastically. 
Uh, David, where can, uh, where do people find you? How do they get a hold of you? If they, sure. if they want your coaching, um, please give your plug. And how, how do they find you? Sure. My website is uh, it's www.needsageadvice. So that's the word need, the word sage, and the word advice. And so um, Sage Financial Consulting is the name of the business, but the website is needsageadvice.com. And they can find my phone number and any other way, or they can email me however they want to do that. Uh, David at Need Sage Advice is my email. And um, you're welcome to contact me in any way. Um, or you're welcome to come by the sanctuary and, you know, you know, see me in person and uh, we can go from there. So any, any which way you want to do that, I am more than happy to help you. Uh, I do, you know, the first initial consult is free. I just want to kind of get to know you and see if I, if I can help you. And if I can't help you, then I'll point you in the direction I think is best for you. If I think it can help you, then we'll see if we can work out an agreement and, and go from there. But uh, um, again, I'm just trying to help uh, people uh, really give back to their community and provide for their families the best they know how. And um, and I'm trying to do the same thing. So we all gotta we all gotta pay bills. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. You have just seen episode 94 of the Curvo Podcast. We're almost to 100. Thank you, Jam Broadcasting at the Shriner University Studios for letting us do this here. We are about to be in the sunroom. It is, it's a brand new studio. It has got the hookup. I thought we were snazzy here, but y'all have not seen anything yet. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Curvo Podcast, episode 94, David Robbins, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.